the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. With everything happening in the world of sports, there's no better place to follow the most important storylines than The Athletic. Delivering in-depth reporting, rich storytelling, and thoughtful analysis from an all-star newsroom cast. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of great content built around you as a fan. There's no ads, no autoplay videos, no clickbait, just great sports coverage you can trust and stories you won't find anywhere else. Start today. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year. Again, that's theathletic.com slash track. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Thursday. Happy tight end Thursday. Boy, we, uh, we timed this right. A rash of contract extensions in the NFL. Some we saw coming, some maybe not so much. George Kittle starts it off with five years, $75 million, $40 million guaranteed. He'll get 30 of that right now, $18 million as a signing bonus. That's just about right. We heard it was going to be closer to $16 million a year yesterday. That was a false report. Adam Schefter, Adam Schefter of course, helped me out with that. And uh, this, this afternoon, Adam Schefter himself breaks a five-year, $75 million contract for Kittle. So $15 million a year. That's $4.5 million more than Austin Hooper. The guarantees are way higher than any other tight end. And it's really a a uh, cap-adjusted and an inflation-adjusted version of Jimmy Graham, 4 for 40 back in the day with the Saints. So everything's about right. Uh, you know, the best tight end in football gets the highest money. And just moments after that, the Kansas City Chiefs said, well, we'll do this then. Four years, $57.25 million for Travis Kelsey, who's going to be 31 years old in a couple of months here. He gets $28 million right now in terms of guarantees. So a little bit less than Kittle across the board, but you can understand that from an age perspective. And oh, by the way, they've got to fit in Patrick Mahomes, Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, Tyreek Hill, and a few more contracts as well. So, boy, they're going to run that thing right up against the cap, right up against the cash. Uh, I'm sure their cash ceiling, but they are keeping the band together. They like what they have. They certainly like Andy Reid's system, and it's all systems go for the Mahomes-Kelsey connection for the next few years. And then, of course, Deion Dawkins, the Bills left tackle, sort of an unknown in the league, really kind of broke out last year, solidified his stance as the left tackle for Josh Allen here. His contract now aligns nicely with Allen's. He gets four years, $60 million, $34 million of that fully guaranteed, $15 million a year, perfect for him as well. That's just above the, uh, the recent sort of fringe top-tier left tackles in the league. You know, obviously, Laramie Tunzel at $22 million has completely broken the bank in the left tackle market. But $15 million a year is a really nice price for Brandon Bean and the Bills to keep their left tackle in play. And uh, we'll see what happens after that. I'm sure there's plenty more contracts coming. I mentioned the quarterbacks recently. We, Tredavious White from the Bills, probably on the short list. Jalen Ramsey's a maybe, though I'm not pr- quite sure the Rams are ready to sign anybody right now. Cooper Cup, by the way, wide receiver for the Rams. He could be in play for a contract extension if the price is right. T.Y. Hilton with the Colts is coming up on an ext- on expiring contract. Does he have a, long, a more long-term future with Indianapolis? We'll see about that. And uh, the list goes on from there. Plenty of running backs, none of which I think will get done outside of Joe Mixon. I believe Joe Mixon and the Cincinnati Bengals should find some common ground here soon. But keep it up. There's a look. 2020 is going to take away a lot of revenue from the NFL, but it is not stopping owners from spending money on their big players. We have seen 450 millions of Patrick Mahomes, like I said, 22 million a year for Laramie Tunzel. We've had Miles Garrett and, and Joey Bosa completely reset the defensive guaranteed market over 100 million each guaranteed. You know, Christian McCaffrey certainly reset that that running back market, and of course, it all started with Ryan Tannehill six months ago, 91 million guaranteed with Tennessee. So 
plenty of money being thrown around. This won't be the last of it, but it was an interesting day of NFL spending for sure. So keep up with it at Spot Trek on Twitter as well. We'll keep up with it there as well. Today we have two guests. Scott Allen starts it off. A little NBA bubble talk, but not not our usual NBA talk. We are bringing out the the bubble stars, right? Your TJ Warrens, your Fred Van Fleets, uh, your Dame Lillards, of course, Devin Booker's. Where are they in the financial world right now? How do their contracts look right now? Are they up for new money soon? Are they restricted free agents, unrestricted free agents? Sort of how do these bubble players who are exceeding expectations going to be in line for a next contract? You know, how does their team around them look from a team building standpoint? Scott's got some great info for that. And then we're bringing back Emily Karen, sports business reporter for, from Sportico. She does great, great work, especially in the college football world. And she's been all over it. Obviously, there's been plenty to talk about with the cancellations or postponements, I should say, of some of these conferences. And it sounds like the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 still have talks to have about whether or not they're actually going to try to play football. And, you know, look, there's a division now, right? There's a division between these Power 5 conferences and the rest of FBS. And Emily's been all over that. And she's got some really interesting tidbits about the process of players opting out or if their players are not, you know, in a conference where they won't be playing this year, but they will be eligible for the draft in March. How is that going to look? When would they start training? Because look, that's going to cost people a lot of money. When do they start training? You know, will they play spring ball if it's available to them? There's a lot of question marks now, even if the, your conference has opted out. And uh, Emily's done a really nice job covering that. So we'll talk to her in a little bit as well. Today's episode is also brought to you by Dynasty Owner. Real fantasy football. Dynasty fantasy football with real NFL contracts, real NFL salaries, powered by Track. Really happy to have these guys on board. I've loved being on their show. We're going to get them on probably next week because, boy, it's, it's fantasy football draft time. And I've been talking to them a little bit about some of the numbers and some of the interesting facts for 2020. Is there going to be anything harder than, than playing fantasy football in this COVID-19 season? There's just so many unknowns. We're going to have to be watching that waiver wire and that reserveless wire almost 24-7 because it's going to be an evolving process for sure. Teams are going to have to flex, and our fantasy lineups will have to flex as well. Visit DynastyOwner.com. Tell them Track sent you. You'll get a little bonus prize. You can win cash prizes and the chase for the ring. Really great system. Really great app. These guys have it all figured out as well using real NFL contracts. Again, DynastyOwner.com. All right. Let's bring in Scott Allen and talk some basketball. And we're joined now on the Hit Parade Hotline by Scott Allen. Here for a quick segment about the NBA. A little different today, Scott. Welcome to the show. There's bubble awards being handed out soon. We kind of know who the contenders are here, so we're going to pull some of those those names out of the hat here and talk about the money, right? What they're doing now, what it looks like now, where they might be going financially because of this success. I mean, this is the this is the March Madness syndrome, isn't it? Where a guy gets hot for six weeks on national TV, becomes a darling, an American darling, and we all kind of fall in love with them, and his draft stock rises or, or something. You know what I mean? Yep. Certainly his marketing plugs come in. So... Um, that's what we're seeing. And we've got, you know, there's the candidates are TJ Warren and Devin Booker and, and Fred Van Fleet and a bunch of these names across the league here who have sort of carried their teams through this preliminary stage of the NBA bubble. And now we're postseason bound, of course, starting tomorrow. What are your initial thoughts, first of all, about this bubble before we get into the numbers? I think from a, a player development standpoint, it's been great for some teams. I mean, you're getting guys who are getting reps. Uh, you've seen some of the starters cut back on some minutes and you're getting some of the bench players, some opportunities to play. And we've seen some guys rise because of that. 
Um, I think as a whole, I've enjoyed it. Um, the, the play has been really good and I'm, I'm expecting it to even go even higher once these playoffs really start getting into it. So I'm really excited for that. And, you know, I, I think that interesting dynamic, I know a lot of people gawked at the, uh, logistics with this seating game, uh, this playing game that is bound to happen here with, um, in the Western conference, you know, I think it's going to add a really interesting element. Um, let's and, hit, and let's we've hit on seen this. It. Let's hit on this. I want to break it out for people who don't understand what you're talking about. There's some gamesmanship going on, and it has, been for, it has been for about a week now. There's a little bit of collusion, it sounds like, <laughs> I, and, I, and I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, the Lakers coach, Frank Vogel, basically spoke to this yesterday. Um, essentially, the teams in the Western Conference got together and said, hey, if we do this and this and this – we can get Portland in that eight spot and then Portland versus the Lakers is a pretty darn heck of a good first round matchup for our, for our number one seed. Do you think that's happening? Do you like that it's happening? If this process continues forward in a non COVID season, this play in process, which I think it's got a really good chance to last. Do they have to address this? Does the number one seed need to get a buy or something along those lines? Uh, I think t- to answer your first question, yeah, I, there probably is something going on in the background. Now, if if you're the Lakers, yeah, I could see them, you know, a Portland Laker matchup, you know, it, it makes for the television ratings. But if you're the Lakers, you probably would rather play Memphis than a, a hot Portland team. Um, I, I think the other interesting f- is the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they've made a, they've won every single game in this, in this uh, bubble here mm-hmm. uh, with one game remaining. So, I mean, we've seen them have a, um, a push here, whether or not they jump Memphis for the ninth seed and have to play Portland. Uh, that that'll be interesting because right now they're both at the same win percentage. Uh, so we could see it actually be Phoenix and Portland in that, uh, playing game, which I think would be a really interesting, uh, yeah, outstanding game. I mean, you got superstar uh, especially shooters. With, yeah. Yeah. You, know, you got Aiton and Booker, which we're going to talk about a little bit here. You've got Portland with Lillard, McCollum, Nurkic, you know, and Carmelo. So, you know, as far as could we potentially see this in the future? I, I don't know because the reason they put this in was because of the, less games having been played and they wanted to have those teams that didn't have a full season to make a push to have a chance at, you know, that one game play in to, to get into the playoffs. If you have a full season, I don't know if that necessarily happens because, you know, they'd have those extra 20 to 25 games to get where they want. To so be. Let, let me ask you this, because you're right. That's probably the right angle to take off that versus, doing this kind of a system all the time. But why are Portland and Phoenix playing like they're playing right now? Is it is it just dumb luck? Did the did the three-month hiatus actually benefit them? I mean, I know Portland was banged up a little bit. I know there were a bunch of teams who were certainly banged up and got healthy because of this quarantine situation. In a normal season, that's going, you know, gamut to gamut. Maybe it's December to April, whatever it's going to be from, from now on. I think it's going to change slightly. But... Um, the Portland Trailblazers were not even close to this kind of team leading up to that March 13th, March 12th um, stoppage. 
that's going to be the normal, right? That's 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 what we're used to. No, no team just turns it on like this at the end of the season and becomes like the sweeping darling. That just doesn't happen in the NBA. We've talked about this before. This isn't the league where rookies get into the get into the finals and win. It almost never happens ever. Experience matters so much in the NBA postseason, and you can look at the look at the champions for backup and any kind of evidence you need. So I just I don't I mean. The problem with this is Portland does have experience. They are, they have been together forever. They have been paying $220 million against the cap for five straight years. You and I have monitored that kind of recklessly. Um, so, right, they are that kind of team, but they weren't playing like that kind of team for months, for four months of this 1920 season. So I don't think it's normal what Portland and Phoenix are doing right now in this bubble. I think the change of scenery, the change of pace, the off time, whatever it is, has just benefited them for some reason and oh, by the way, I, I'm not going to put aside this collusion point. I'm not. No, you, it, I, I agree with that. I, I'll also say, remember back when we were in, I think it was December or whatever, I said, don't count Portland out. No, nope. That's a team that just because they're having a slump in the beginning of the season, they're a team that could easily turn it back on. Now, if they needed this you know, hiatus, to reset and mentally, physically, you know, well, it did get him Nurkic that, back, which, right? They, they did get that back, which has yeah. been huge for yeah. them. Um, I mean, the other team that was, was on the slide up was the Spurs and you know, you can never count them out. It looks like they're probably not going to make it, mm-hmm. uh, because Phoenix has been winning here every game. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would not put it past there to be some, collusion in there especially if it's the non-lakers teams who are saying all right let, let's try to let portland in because they may knock out the lakers and give us a better chance at a run to the title uh, i could see that happening uh, but we've also seen a lot of these teams cutting back minutes on yeah. their star players because they don't want them to be injured going into the playoffs i mean especially the ones that have been you know locked in for this entire bubble i mean it's we knew that they were going to play the majority of the games to get the rust off, but we also knew that they weren't going to go full, full into the wall because they wanted to have the energy, the chemistry, the lack of injuries going into the playoffs. I mean, we've seen some Ben Simmons, he's out for the playoffs. I mean, some of these teams are, are hurting because of those injuries, but others are, you know, they're firing on all cylinders. So it's going to be definitely interesting to see once the playoffs really do kick in and that you're playing a series with the same team for four five, six games in seven, in some cases, um, how things really start to, uh, trend back to the to the average yeah how does norm- that how does adam adam silver convince these teams to go seven <laughs> how, how does how does he do that without sounding like it, you know you you float off to the side in the back room <laughs> you float we need seven game series because it, every game counts for revenue and counts for the cap in the future like I, we talked about i gotta tell last you pod. i'm not even sure he has to I mean, the LeBrons and the Chris, I think they all know, they know Chris Paul knows LeBron James. They know, I mean that, that OKC Houston series, we, we were begging for that six months ago. This is, this Mm -hmm. is going to be must see TV. Those guys know it. Everyone on that court understands what's going on. 
and that they're all losing money at some point right now, right now with what's happening, and that the more they play, more, the more they get their butts on TV, the better it is for this league. I, I think it's just going to be common knowledge. You're going you're gonna to hear some people try to take advantage of that and call it greedy and BS. It's not. It's not. These guys are putting themselves out there for our entertainment right now. Let's be frank about what this is. And they are literally locked into hotel rooms right now for our, for our benefit. So if they want to go and, 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 you know, shave a few points right now to get themselves on TV a little bit more, I'm all for it. I am all for collusion and cheating right now in the NBA. That's the point of this segment, Scott. <laughs> well, the, in, in outside of, you know, outside of the gameplay here, you know, the, the conversations of players, yeah. it's going to be, you know, two, three years down the road. You, you have players that are in the back colluding of, hey, let's play. You're a free agent in X year. Let, let's do something together. You know that's happening. It's sort of like when they all play on the Olympics. So mm-hmm. outside of even just gameplay for right now I- into the playoffs, you know that's happening as well. All right, let's get to it. There's a bunch of bubble stars yep. that are uh, that have kind of formed themselves a big name here. You know, some big names as well. You've mentioned Dame and Devin Booker. I mean, these were superstars coming into this thing, but I feel like they just elevated to another level because all the eyes are on it right now, and the numbers that are being put up are just kind of <laughs> ridiculous to some degree. Well, and, yeah, and to, to mention those numbers, I mean, we're talking about numbers against essentially the, the highest, best teams in the NBA because – there are no of those bottom floaters, the Cleveland Cavaliers, yeah. the Hawks, the Pistons. You're not having uh, bloated numbers for that. Now, some may balk at that and say, well, you just said that there are teams that are sitting some of their starters. But the starters have been playing pretty much every game. Yeah, but I'll go even farther. Just we, been- we talked about this before before the bubble even started. Just the optics of having to shoot in those awkward gyms with no fans yep. in, in places right. they haven't been before. Shooters are, are creatures of habit. And that's one of the home field advantages that doesn't get talked about enough is just knowing your spot on your home court, knowing what you're going to see behind the net. You know, there are certain fans you see every game that that stuff matters. That's just ingrained in these, in these guys' heads. So the fact that Dame Lillard can go out and put 60 up twice in, in this awkward situation and it's really just all systems go for him is bonkers. And some of the numbers have been really great. So let's get to some of these yeah, guys. I'll let you kind of pick and choose who you want to start with. Let's talk about where they are now financially and then where they might be going and how long it might take to get there. Yeah, I think the biggest name has been TJ Warren. Uh, He has been standout, whether it's on the court or on fantasy. I mean, he's been a a money guy to have. he he's currently signed to a four-year, forty-seven million-dollar contract extension from 2017 when he was with Phoenix. Mm. Uh, so if you remember back, Phoenix traded him to Indiana as part of this three-team trade back in 2019. So he played one year with the Suns and then he was traded. This season he made 10.8 million. Then he's slotted for next season at 11.75 million, and then 2021. 12.69 million and to give uh mm. perspe- perspective that 2020 season at 11.75 million that is currently 96th in the league yeah um and then he he did earn a $250,000 incentive this year for shooting 37% from three point uh, so he did trigger that so that is included in those salary uh cap hits there that I mentioned um, so with two years left, he's probably not even in the conversation for a new contract at this point, yeah, right? Right. I, I think Indiana keeps him and sees where things go up until 2021. If for some reason someone calls and you know they get a great offer, then then you can move him because at 
that 10, 11, 12 amount of cap hit, Mm -hmm. that's relatively easy to move. But if he's going to play like this for the next three years around Oladipo and Brogdon and uh, Miles Turner, you keep him because instead of a three-man team, you've got a four-man team that you can really – push into the playoffs consistently for the next few years. But like I said, if, if someone comes and calls and you get some great offer for them, they may have to listen, but I I don't foresee it happening right now, especially if he continues down this path. Yeah. And that's pretty cost controlled for a player that can produce a little bit. uh, And with a cap that's going down, you probably got to keep those kind of players right now, even though I think in a normal season, you sell high right now on that guy, (laughs) but I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case right now. All right. Who's next? Yeah, let's jump to Devin Booker because he's been another player who's been real standout. A lot of people have been – I mean, he's been in the news with Draymond Green yeah. mentioning him. Um, he, he's pretty much essentially locked up with Phoenix for the foreseeable future. He signed a five-year, $158 million con- max contract extension back in 2018. He made twenty, a little over $27 million this season. Next season, it jumps to 29.5, which would be around 25th in the league. Um, then 2021, it's just under 32, 2022 is, uh, 33.8 and then jumps to 36 million in 2023. Um, but you know, I think they've got a really good thing going. He really needed this. You know, he needed the hiatus, but he also needed the, the these play in. And we've talked about this with the other teams that aren't in it, like the, the Warriors and the Timberwolves. Cavaliers they've got these young kids on those teams and they could have used that player development this is a team that needed some extra games to really gel they reset themselves uh it's a young is team. Looking, this is just Aiden a crazy is, young team I mean Michael Bridges yeah, Devin Kelly Booker Green. Cam Johnson DeAndre Ayton I mean that is that those kids just walked out of college right now they just walked out right and that's what I'm saying the chemistry the the, the way that they're playing it it's uh, it's, it's what this team really needed. Now, if Booker really wants to be out and this is him talking through Draymond Green and Draymond Green's <laughs> for him to take the cap hit because, or the, the $50,000 fine, because that's what he wants to do. Then, you know, we just talked about collusion and that could have been sure. another aspect of it. But for right now, he's locked in there. If a team calls, I don't necessarily know if Phoenix w- will, would want to move them. Um, but we'll say this with the cap being lowered, he's already locked into this contract extension. So those values aren't going to change. We're going to talk about some players who it will uh, or could change here in the future because of the cap. Um, but he's locked into those values and you know, it, are you surprised are that up. he didn't sign this earlier or did he sign exactly when he was eligible to? He did. He signed this in 2018. So yeah. he, he got into this ahead of it, the one year ahead of the deal. You're right. He, he's the benefactor of locking in in 2019 when t- players who have to lock in next year are go- probably going to have a contract less than this. This five for yeah, 158 is going to be smaller next year, correct, for these rookie extensions? Yeah, yeah they are, most likely. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, I think it, it it's... It's great for him. I mean, we've been seeing him put up these crazy numbers over and over the last few seasons. And, you know, this might just be his shining moment. And with a this whole team, honestly, off, the whole team. Yeah. Like I said, the chemistry and the development 
they needed it and they've been they've been playing with the big boys so if if you're a phoenix suns fan or you're the phoenix sun organization you're really happy with how things have played out for you right now so how does it work with players who are who have the club option next year can can rookies be traded after the third year yeah, so the club options are exercised for for rookie scale players. Sure. The options are exercised a year ahead of time. So this offseason, teams would be exercising the club option for the 2021 season. So once they're, I mean, they, they could be traded whenever they would want to be. The team would just need to be, would need to exercise that option before the deadline, which in this case, this season, it's going to be, uh, negotiated. Usually it's before, mm-hmm. um, a, a, a certain period of time, but this year it's going to have to shift obviously like we've talked in the past, but you know, yeah, they could be traded so here's, whenever they want. Here's the, here's why I'm asking. I've been sitting here for the last two minutes while you've been talking, almost not listening to you trying to find a better point guard for this team. Cause I'm not, <laughs> cause I'm not a huge rookie Rubio fan, but I, I love how this Suns team is put together otherwise. And I know that there's some turmoil in Sacramento and if they could somehow pull De'Aaron Fox out of Sacramento and slap him on top of this team right now, even if it costs you three first-round picks and a couple of those youngsters down the line, to me, that is the super team for Phoenix. That's it. You pull De'Aaron Fox with Devin Booker and, and, a, and the big man of Aiton, and that's your team. That's, your, that's your, your sexy rookie team for the next five years. Here's what I don't want to happen with this team, and not to go down Phoenix too much here. The Brooklyn Nets were kind of this team last year. They were a bunch of, you know, notable players that kind of came together and it gelled. It worked. Uh, they, they just, a lot of things came together at the end of that season, and they almost made that darling run. I talked about how it never happens. Well, they didn't. You know, it, there was a stop, stop gap like always happens in the NBA postseason, and they, they decided to blow it all up. The coach, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, uh, uh, DeAndre Jordan, right, Jordan, uh, they completely changed their entire the entire look and feel of that team, even though that team, like I said, did a lot of good things. Um, so it's, it was a risky blow up and I'm not sure they're better right now. Well, I mean, obviously we'll see what happens with a healthy Durant next year, if they can pull it all back together and, and have a higher ceiling. But I don't, that's what I do not want Phoenix to do. I think trading Devin Booker would be absolutely bonkers, bonkers right now. Yeah. And I think you're, if you're the league, you don't want, you don't want to trade him because this is why they've changed the rookie scale and all that. They want teams to build through the rookie, uh, through the draft. And you can see through this, I mean, they have made some trades and they've made some off season acquisitions, but for the most part, some of the players that you've listed out there have all been drafted by Phoenix and that's what the league wants. Right. Exactly. Uh, especially if the one and dones are gone soon the draft's going to be even more powerful if you can pull those players in right away. So yeah, yep. this is an interesting team. It's certainly one to watch, but I, I would not recommend a full blow up there if that's the case, because no, I no. do think there's some teams below them. They can poach some players from. I really do. Especially if the cap lowers and they're sitting here with a roster full of rookies, they're going to be in, they're going to be in the driver's seat to pull in some of these veteran players. You know what I mean? They're going to, they're going to be one of those teams that's going to have cap space that really no one else will have. So keep an eye on Phoenix. Devin Booker is certainly a superstar. Four years left on that deal outside of a massive trade. That would be a blockbuster trade. I don't think he's going anywhere for 2020 either, but a heck of a player for sure. Who's next? Yeah, let's go. uh, Let's go north. Toronto (laughs) Raptors with Fred Van Vliet. Speaking of point guards who are going to be free agents next year, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he 
he he is a stud right now. He's he's uh, been trending up the last few seasons. He had signed a two year, eighteen million dollar contract back in two thousand eighteen. So he's going to be a free agent, um, an undrafted or sorry, unrestricted free agent. Right. Uh, so he can go wherever he wants. He can sign with Toronto. They have his rights. Um, I mean. His cap hold will be $17.8 million. So uh, that will stay on Toronto's books until he signs one way or another. Um, but I, I expect Toronto to lock him up. Uh, Why haven't they, Scott? They haven't been able to because of the extension rules. So explain that. Uh, so he's only under a two-year contract. Extensions are for if you're uh, – have a four or a five year contract and then you can only extend after. So they like have to wait until sales. the league ends. They have to wait until the league year ends before they can deal with his contract. Is that what you're saying? Well, in his case, he'd have to wait until free agency hits. He really? can't sign ahead of time. Right. It's not like NFL where you can do an extension ahead of time. They, as soon as the season ends, he has to wait until free agency hits to sign. So he would be a free agent. That's where the rights come in. He could sign more based on the rights with Toronto than another team. Um, but yeah, he, he would have to wait until it starts. And, you know, I, I would not be surprised if they give him a max or if not close to a max. Sure. Um, but they're going to be, they're going to be tight because Low, Lowry's locked up at 30.5 million next season. Siakam is at 29 million, but that's an estimated value right now because he signed an extension based off the percentage of the cap, which we don't know. So that 29 million could come down a little bit. Let's say will. Let's just say will. I mean, it's gonna. And and Siakam has some uh, all NBA language that he could increase that percentage as well. Uh, and we don't know what those results are yet, so that could go up or down. Meaning but he could he could up to a supermax, the thirty percent of the, of the cap. Yeah, yeah, he's got threshold, so it's like if he makes second All NBA, it goes up to uh, twenty twenty seven or twenty eight percent, and then if he's first All NBA, it'll go up a little bit more. Uh, so I think he's, he's got a real got, shot at first first team, don't you? I do. I do. Wow. So that's going to be a financial so, hamper to Toronto's situation. All these yeah. things said now, is Kyle Lowry on the trade block? Uh, he's on a one year. I think he's on a one year. He's got that extension that he, he did. Um, I, Cause my goodness, that's the Phoenix point guard. If he is, especially on a one year tender. Yeah, it is a one year extension. You know, they could, but I don't know if Toronto necessarily burns two bridges. Well, uh, I just wonder DeRozan if they'll be forced to. I'll just, I just wonder if they'll be forced to. You know what I mean? Because of this cap situation. Every team's going to have to make some kind of uncomfortable move, in my opinion. Um, although keeping your own is certainly going to be easier than bringing in somebody new. But, uh, you know, I, I do think we'll see a rash of trades in all of these sports. NFL for sure. And I would imagine yeah. the NBA is going to have to follow suit here. That or if if Lowry takes a uh, hometown <laughs> discount, resigns to Toronto while Van Vliet gets the increase. I, I don't know. So many things could happen that, you know, what we do know is he'll be a free agent. He can go where he wants. But the free agent um, offseason market is not going to be stellar because if Who that can afford him down, there's not right. No one's going to be able to afford him. 
to anything. So he he may be one of those fr- uh, free agents this offseason that signs a one or a two year deal. One plus one. And, yep, absolutely, and, Scott. And then just hits it again in a few years. Everybody should be following this that that track, right? I mean, let's just slow play this thing until the cap gets back up to where we want it and everybody can afford us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's a good call. That's an interesting name, though, Van Fleet. He's got really good postseason experience. In fact, he carried that Toronto team for a few of those series. My goodness. Uh, boy, yeah, that's a. I bet you there's teams calling if they've got the space for him, for sure. Who's next? Yeah, let's go out west. Michael Porter Jr., uh, he... Uh, he is in his second season. Uh, next season, he is at $3.55 million. It was an option that was exercised because he's under his rookie contract. And then his 2021 is a 5.3 million. He's uh, it is a club option. They'll have to exercise that this off season. Uh, he cannot be extended at all until after the third season, since he's under the rookie scale. And so he can't be extended until after next season. And, you know, you have to remember, he he fell to 14th. the 14th. I'm looking right now. We were thinking the exact same he, thing. I'm looking. He, he's the he, fourth point power forward taken in that draft, Scott. He he was supposed to be in the top like five or six. But because of a back injury, he fell down and wow. Denver grabbed him. It's a steal and an unva- unreal value for Denver right now with the way he's playing. Now, with that being said, if he can continue to grow and he can stay healthy, yeah. he he is the future in Denver, and they'll they'll almost likely lock him up to an extension when he is eligible, just because of the the projected outlook right now. And that's not till after next season, right? Yeah, after next season. Okay, so again, not much he can do there financially, but that's a player to watch for sure. Because you're right, um, either an outstanding trade piece for a Denver team that's loaded. Let's be honest, that they're mm-hmm. loaded. And yeah. or, yeah, a max candidate after 2020, 21 for sure. All right, Dame, let's talk Dame here. I know Dame's been paid uh, and he will continue to be paid and the numbers are unbelievable, but so are the points, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. Like we've talked about him and he's got 29.8 million this season. Next season, it's 31.6. Remember, he is one that signed a max contract extension two years early, sort of like John Wall did. Um, back in 2019, it was a four year, 196 million, but it is dependent on the cap. It's a 35% of the cap. So he is one that, you know, right now it's saying in 2021, 43.75 million. And then it escalates up to 54 in 2024. All those values could change depending on the cap force majeure and that kind of stuff that would cause it to be null and void based on some other stipulations. The the values are just based off of the cap when it does. So it locks in once the 2021 cap is known. So that, like I said, those values could be altered here in the future for him. So let's talk about this real quick, because it's, we've talked a lot about the percentage of the cap and maybe even if it, if something like the NFL or major league baseball should do something like this as well maybe based on their their hard cap or their luxury tax threshold, kind of be able to harness in their elite players, maybe somewhat, you know, categorize the quarterbacks a little bit more fairly versus the rest of the positions in the NFL. That's essentially what basketball has done here. They've, they've stripped positions, right? And we don't care yeah. if you're a center, if you're worth a max, this is the max. If you're a point guard, if you're worth the max, this is the max. Um, but it's also very loose. 
as we're talking about, it's fluid, it's flexible, it's dependent on the league, which makes a ton of sense. I mean, player salary should go as the league goes. That's exactly how it should be. The NFL is going to have a hell of a time in 2021. A hell of a time. Because you got guys like Jared Goff and Matt Stafford and Derek Carr and blah, 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 making, making percentages of the cap based on what they signed in 2018, 2017, with the expectation that the, the cap would be $30 million higher in 2021. It's not going to be the case. And the only way out of it for the NFL is just a restructure, a release, or a trade. That's going to be the answer for a lot of those high-paid players. At, at, at least here, you know, for, for players like Siakam next year in Toronto, you know, as the cap lowers and the revenue lowers, Toronto will get some sort of relief from Siakam's contract to, to, to say that. But it's a pretty bad deal for the players. You know, and I understand it might be three, four million versus 43 million, which is literally what I'm looking at for Dame in 2021. Um, and that sounds, you know, ancillary to the average, you know, fan and user. But it's $3 million that Dame might lose on, on, on one salary. Shouldn't there, be, shouldn't there be in place some sort of mechanism to, to, as a floor? Shouldn't there be 35% of the cap, but not below? Do you know what I'm saying? I do, yeah. And we've talked about that in the past. Um, yeah, it might be a talking point here in the future when the, the new CBA comes up, for sure. I mean, it may be, I know, I mean, there's been rumors of them wanting to get rid of the max or, you know, keep the max. That might be a, a talking point now that we know with with the situation of the cap being lowered so much or will it bounce back or how long will it bounce back? Um, yeah, it, it might be a, a talking point for mm -hmm. the future. Um, but right now there is none. So where, wherever that cap falls to, I mean, it, it, the benefit for Dame is, 2021 is a little bit out should be better I mean, it's an extra it, yeah. it's an extra year so but will we even cap, get, we're not even going back to the 109 rebound. right it's not even going to come back to where it is right now by then i wouldn't think so probably not no <laughs> so. i mean even if this even if this season uh, this upcoming season sticks at the 109 that we've talked about and then it goes up to say 115 after that you know, he's still taking a hit because that projected value was off of um, like 120, I think right. I, we had it off of or somewhere around there. So he's still going to take a hit because I don't think it goes back up that much. But yeah, he is one that it's going to be affected by. Now, you have him, you have McCollum, you have Nurkic, you have uh, you know, you got some bench players that that they like, but you know, with, with his cap situation, they're still going to be hindered. So that that's a team that is going to have to build through the draft process, through some trades with which they've done here recently. Yep. Um, so that that's a team that they know who they are. They know who they want to be. It's just filling in the pieces behind and maybe this resurgence here into the playoffs, if they can, you know, knock out, the Lakers and, and get into the second round, that's just going to be better for them. But I mean, it's a team that is always contending. And like I said, the, the only way that they're really going to acquire players here is 
through the draft and through trades because they're always going to be over that cap like they've been for for so long. Yeah, they're going to be a high teens draft pick and they need to hit lightning in a bottle with a power forward. Let's just be honest. That's what they need. Their backcourt's outstanding. Nurkic is a superstar when he's healthy. They need to fill in that middle of the, that, that middle of the pack. And oh, by the way, that's the player that's supposed to be guarding LeBron James in that first series, too. So good luck, Portland. <laughs> I know you're going to shoot the lights out, but you're not going to be able to stop LeBron James and Anthony Davis as flex three, four, five players for the entire series. But so, uh, you know, I'm not super worried about Lakers versus Portland in that regard, but that's that's what they need. They need to hit lightning in a bottle in the middle of the first round with a power forward that's going to be cost controlled for the next three to four seasons. And then they can keep this thing together because otherwise you're right. There's going to be a breaking point with Portland. They paid too much money. They've been up against it. They've been taxpayers for too long now to justify continuing this for forever. I know Dame signed for another five years. So you probably he's probably the, the, the piece you keep no matter what. Um, you know, McCollum's already been on trade blocks for the past two years, to be honest. So that's obviously going to be the piece they move if and when they have to break this up. But I don't think they want to yet. I certainly don't think they want to. We'll see how this postseason goes and what happens with the cap next year. But you're right. This is probably the number one team to watch from a financial situation go- going forward after this season, regardless of what happens in 2019 here. Yeah, exactly. Who's next? Yeah, let's go. We'll go east to Brooklyn. Jared Allen. Uh, he, he has stepped up a lot of obnoxious hair. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he does. Uh, but he has definitely stepped up with Durant being out, Irving being out. He is on a two, $2.4 million salary this season. Next season, it's three, nine. Then he'll be a restricted free agent. Uh, he was a number 22 draft pick Mm. in 2017. So he'll be eligible for, um, an extension, after next year? Uh, after after this year, actually. After this year. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know. But more, more importantly, where does he fit with these superstars we talked about that have come in? I mean, does he even well, have a freaking role next year? Honestly. Well, th- you make an excellent point. And one of my notes here is, does Brooklyn extend him or do they trade him and get some assets to put around Durant and Irving. Uh, That's going to be the million dollar question or multi-million dollar question for them to, to decide, because I mean, I think they could probably get some nice pieces back for him the way he's been playing Mm -hmm. and, you know, a team that does need a big, but then, you know, do they lock him up and uh, they have their, their guy for the future, and see how he does play with Durant and with Irving when they're all together. That, that, that's going to be what f- the front office has to figure out. But I mean, it, he, he has been a, uh, extreme viable option for that Brooklyn Nets with, I mean, they're essentially playing with <laughs> G league and players off the street just to have a, a, a team during this bubble. I like it. It's a nice little team. I'm glad they kept him and a couple of other pieces, but I'm just worried they, they blew it up too much. That's all. And Kyrie can come and kill a team pretty quickly. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Hey, let's skip to Luca because uh, yeah. he's yeah. been on everybody's he brain right now. <laughs> yeah, he is one that I, 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 I almost left him off because I was like, oh, he... He has been a star, but I, I know you're probably looking for like gems that are, you know, no, no, in there. I want to hear then, what kind of money he could be getting. I, I mean, when's it going to happen? 
Uh, how does it work with the uh, Porzingis contract, which I know probably st- did it start this year or not till next year? Is he one of those guys that might get reduced? Uh, Porzingis, he's already locked in. Okay, so that started this year, that that extension? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Um, yeah. So with Luca, let me say this. He is averaging a triple-double in the bubble. Uh, I, I what. I went through and I figured out all the stats for the main categories here and he is averaging a triple double. He for the whole season, this uh, including bubble and when we did have the season, he's averaging almost a triple double 29, 9.5 and nine assists uh, or 9.5 assists and nine rebounds. So he was close there. He has $7.68 million this season. He has $8 million next season. 2021, he has a $10.2 million club option, which they'll need to exercise this season. He's not eligible to be signed to an extension until after that 2020 season. So So what you're saying is he's Russell Westbrook and he'll never win a championship. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, not necessarily. I'm saying that. uh, Dallas has him on a essentially cost controlled for right now and um ex- extreme value with the way he's playing no question and he's not signing a thing until that cap rises he's not signing a thing. oh so that, no no and and that's that's a benefit to him you know some of these guys that are extension eligible if you're a, a super max kind of player like he is going to be you you have the benefit of not extending and if you really like it in dallas you just sign with your rights in the off season when you are a, mm-hmm. a free agent. You don't have to sign that extension because you're not locking in. You can see where that cap is going to be. Um, so he, he does have the benefit of time on his side with all the, all that's going on. He also has the um, benefit of turning pro in 2015. He turned pro. Fi- he's been getting paid to play basketball for five years already. So right. he's not some, you know, you know, some poor kid coming out of college that needs this first million dollars. He's fine. He's he's been getting played, paid internationally. It's not obviously NBA money, but he's been fine and he knows it's coming. He, he's, he, I don't think there's any urgency right there. It's about building that team more. I like that team a lot. I like the Seth Curry move. I like Porzingis to some degree. I think he's got a ceiling, though. Uh, that's a team that might have a little bit of wiggle room, right? Cap wise. I think we talked about this a little bit. That might be a team that can free up some space this offseason and maybe get one more piece in when no, no other team can do so. The problem is they've got the Clippers in the first round. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's they're, they're going nowhere faster. So well, th- that that Western Conference is going to be yeah, 12 round knock them out. And, you know, whoever is left standing is going to be left standing, which is why some of those teams have been sitting their players and. You know, Dallas has been playing how they have because they wanted to make sure that they were solid going in. And, you know, they they were a team that sort of needed the chemistry as well because Porzingis was out injured. Uh, Doncic had some injury there in the middle. Uh, so they're they're trying to gel and get into there. Um, so, yeah, you're right. That, that is a team that they're probably a piece away uh, so they they'll they may make some trade moves. It looks like they are about four million in practical cap space mm-hmm. when all is said and done for next season. So they do have a little bit of space, but not not much as far as that. So uh, we'll see what they do um, once so that offseason. In terms of that extension, though, let's say it doesn't happen until 2021. 
what has to happen here for him to get up into that Supermax conversation? Because I don't think he's hit an All-NBA team yet. Win MVP. That's it? Can he be? De- mm-hmm. he's, he's not going to be the defensive he player MVP, of the year, that's for sure. If, if, he, if he can win an MVP, that'll lock him. What about Offensive Player of the Year? Does that count? Um, off the top of my head, no. Defensive Player of the Year is, though. Well, he ain't winning that. No. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, so he's got a... I guess he's got an MVP chance. He's got an outside yeah. MVP chance for sure, right? He does. And... and I mean, the way he's playing, he definitely has it for next uh, opportunity for next year. And if he d- gets it next year, he can. Otherwise, it's what two all, two All NBA teams. All right, so he, the All NBA is first, second, or third team in the mo- most recent season. Or if he gets it in two seasons preceding that most recent season, and then yes, it is Defensive Player of the Year, and then MVP is in any of the three most recent seasons. So okay. if he gets it now or he gets it next year, he would automatically lock that up. Okay, so Luke is an All-NBA this year for sure, right? Yeah, so if he could get it next year as well, then, then, then you sign. Be, then you sign because you've, you've proceeded two years in a row, right? Yeah, because you could get it at that 30%. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Okay, he's definitely the player to watch. I mean, we talked about him as a fringe MVP player. He is probably a top five MVP candidate headed into next season. I don't know why he wouldn't be, especially if this Dallas team can take it, take down the Clippers. Anything can happen. I mean, the Clippers are obviously a better team as the two seed, but this is obviously a a bubble situation where, you know, fringe teams are succeeding. You're right. You know, the Lakers and the Clippers, they're going to try to turn the Jets on now. But with that comes injury, with that comes, you know, did you actually get yourself into game shape? That's that's another part of it, too. If you've been going 75 percent now for two and a half weeks here, how long can you actually go 100%? That's a big part of this as well. We're seeing that in baseball. There's no question. There's no question yeah. that the plethora of injuries, especially on the mound in baseball, are because it was a different process to get ramped up. And even though they thought they were game ready and, and, and pitch ready, 100 pitch ready, pitchers are falling left and right. So I, obviously I'm not rooting for that. But that, those are the kind of things right now where one big injury takes your team out of it. So, uh, you know. Right. And I think that's why you've seen uh, people like Charles Barkley saying Portland Trailblazers are going to the finals yep. because they they have been playing balls to the wall yep. for all eight games. They haven't let up, and you know they're they're ready to go. That their bodies are in shape to essentially sustain that prolonged because they've been doing it. You know their who else body has got? And I can't go believe I'm saying this. And pull a hamstring. Do you know who else has been in that frame of mind? Houston. I've watched Houston three or four times. They, they really gave an S about, that, about those bubble games. They really did. And I know that, you know, the history is not on their side right now and their small lineup and all that. Everything's kind of against them from a gambling standpoint, I would, I would imagine. I like them. Why not this year? Everything's different. Why not a different Houston team come in and win this whole thing? So... I'm not going to put this thing on the Lakers and Clippers by any means. I'm not even sure I would bet the Lakers or Clippers right now because of how different a situation we're in. There's absolutely no home court advantage. Uh, I wouldn't say anything is normal right now. So, yeah, should be a great postseason. That starts in a couple of days here, of course. The final playing games are tonight, I believe, without a Giannis, <laughs> without a head-butting Giannis, <laughs> yes. um, which I think is hysterical that he got suspended for a game he wasn't even going to play. But that's how the NBA play-in will, will – uh, We'll finish up, and then the postseason will begin. Scott, good stuff here on this info. 
We'll be tracking these players, of course. Not too many of them really this offseason, but good to get them in the back of the mind so we can see what happens with them next year. And really a couple of team building uh, discussions to have as well this offseason. What happens to the, to the Trailblazers? How do the Raptors continue going forward if, if Van Fleet has to leave and Lowry's on a one-year deal? And the Phoenix Suns, can they find maybe that one piece that puts them over the top and actually puts them in the middle of the Western Conference next year as well? Good stuff. Thanks for joining the show. Yeah, great to be back. Have you ever wanted to take a shot at getting a $12,000 Michael Jordan rookie card or a $1,600 autographed Tom Brady helmet for a fraction of the price? Hit Parade is the premier authentic autographed sports memorabilia mystery box manufacturer in the country. Take a shot at getting an autographed item from the biggest names in all of sports. Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Zion Williamson, Mike Trout, and plenty more. Get your box today at Hit Parade's exclusive online provider, dacardworld.com. That's dacardworld.com. No one has more hits than Hit Parade. Welcome back to the Hit Parade Hotline. Emily Karen, sports business reporter from Sportico. You've been working hard on this college football situation, obviously. Where are your initial thoughts right now with not, not so much is college football going to happen, but just how big is the financial bust going to be from this? It's huge. Um, I mean, we already saw before the Big Ten canceled Penn State, Wisconsin, a couple others were projecting revenue losses that could get into the high eight and nine, you know, even into nine figures. You're talking $100 million losses there, which is a lot of money to recoup, um, even for programs as big as some of those in the Big Ten. So I think you're going to see a lot of conferences having to get creative with financial solutions for their schools. Um, it's not as easy for athletic departments themselves to borrow money, but, you know, especially when their institutions are probably facing some financial pressure themselves. So I think you are going to see a lot of conferences, like I said, have to try to step in and figure things out. Yeah. I know the ACC is meeting literally as we speak right now. Um, and that's going to be a big card to fall. If the ACC says no, I, I think a lot more of the power five is going to have to kind of have a reality check with this. But if they say yes, and then the SEC follows suit and the big 12 follows after that, uh, you know, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because it's kind of a scary conversation to have, but are we, are we seeing a, a, a really thin, maybe thicker line in the sand right now between power five sports, specifically football and the NCAA itself right now? Absolutely. And I think this was a conversation um, that a few of my colleagues and I touched on a couple weeks back when the NCAA's board of governors was voting on the status of all championships you know, as those conversations were happening, the Power Five schools had essentially already started having conversations among themselves and within their conferences about, okay, even if the NCAA votes to cancel fall championships, we can still put them on ourselves. We have the infrastructure, we have the funding, we can make it happen, we can make money off of it. And if they are able to do that on their own, the question then becomes, what's the value of the NCAA to those kind of schools who have the money to make things happen as a conference or even as individual institutions, I think you see the value of the NCAA and a lot of kind of the behind the scenes stuff, a lot of the rules, the oversight, the regulation, the legislation, the legal protections, that those are all things, again, that some of these power five conferences could hypothetically handle themselves. Yeah. So I definitely think this is a conversation. Um, you know, obviously FBS football was never part of that because of college football playoff is run separately from the NCAA, that whole thing. But the question, too, is, you know, these schools 
still want to put on football, obviously the ones who are still trying to move forward because of the money that comes with it. So, you know, if there were a situation where the NCAA ultimately decides as a whole, which they haven't so far, um, that football is not safe to be played, whatever the decision is, you know, again, there could be a similar line of thought there with some of those schools or some of those conferences, Big 12, SEC, ACC about, okay, can we do this on our own? It's scary because yeah. because <laughs> I, I read your piece on on how the NCAA has very little standing with these Power Five schools. I mean, you laid it out there. Outside of the liability and the legal part of it, which I'm sure that's a big piece, it's really just like stronger HR department, right? I mean, I mean, if these right. conferences, yeah. if they just sort of put together like a global HR department that acted as the NCAA's does now, because it's not like the NCAA is having to factor in on on any gameplay situations. I mean, that's all done either by the schools themselves. They're, they're sort of self-policed with all that kind of stuff. So it's already sort of sitting there to be for the taking. And you're right. The money is so big. I mean, I, I spent a whole show Tuesday just really reflecting on all the different assets of money, of expenditures. I mean, the recruiting money has gotten out of control. Obviously, the coaching salaries have gotten ridiculous, something I think will break right now in this 2020 year. Um, but, it, you know, they're their own entity already. So all they have to do is basically say, and unfortunately, if three of those conferences, if the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC decide to play, and there is a little bit of crossover there, and we sort of see how those three power fives hold up the entire college football season, th- there's a real part of me that thinks that's all people care about. <laughs> that's all That's all they're going to need. They're not going to need, you know, South Florida versus Florida University a- as a game on their schedule for, for TV viewership. These are going to be the biggest college games anyway. So why would we need the rest of it? Um, so I think the piece is strong. I-, I think it's a real possibility that their decision to play isn't just a power move for them, you know, or a money move for them. Obviously those are the biggest factors, but it's also to prove to the rest of the country that they don't need the NCAA. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a definitely a legitimate conversation and I think it would be a huge shakeup. I do think if it did happen, you know, I think those conferences among themselves would have to figure out some sort of overarching governing structure to kind of create the sense of uniformity that the NCAA currently brings. But I think, the financial divide between the haves and the have nots in the college athletics world right now, even within the division one FBS landscape is huge. huge. And I think that gap we're seeing right now is really affecting the decisions conferences and schools can and can't make. So the big 10, I also found this out in my, in my research, the big 10 actually makes the most money um, in, yeah. ter- in terms of the trickle down. So how are they the first to go? Do they, do they just know, think they have so much backing already they can afford to do this, that it's an easier decision for them? You know, that's a good question. I don't, I think this is a tough financial decision for anybody to make. Um, I think the Power Five conferences in particular do have more money than others, which in a sense, you know, you have more money on the line, but on the reverse of that, you also have more money probably in your reserves um, as a conference mm-hmm. and you probably have more flexibility in, you know, trying to push this to the spring season and you might have more sway with your media partner, you know, about trying to secure some spring time than a smaller conference might have. So I think the potential of recouping some of that is probably greater. Um, but I think the big 10 too, if you look at the region and the area where the big 10 is, you know, some of those States are pretty locked down. You know, you have Rutgers in New Jersey, New Jersey has very strict, um, 
COVID protocols going on right now with people coming in and out of the state and having to quarantine and things like that, that I think also complicate the situation. I think that's part of why we saw the Ivy League lead this charge is, you know, a lot of those northeastern states that the Ivies are in, Connecticut, Rhode Island, what have you, um, you know, they're doing a similar thing where they're all working together to create restrictions that could then impede a college football season or create, you know, unrealistic quarantine, you know, necessities that student athletes just couldn't do. Yeah. So I think there's a whole lot of factors at play. Yeah, that, that's kind of the elephant in the room, right? That's what that's what all of us sports fans are trying to ignore right now. The fact that the the conferences that have already said no and the ones that are leaning that way are sort of living in the blue states and and the ones that that are, that are going to play football are heavily in the deep red and unfortunately that's going to bring sports into the political landscape even more we've already started to see it of course but uh not a great thing to have three three months before an election right to have college football and really sports in general sort of be at the forefront of the entire political process but it's kind of clear as day that, that that's what's happening. You're right. It, it's the governors of, of certain states who have, you know, similar strict, strict responsibilities right now, and they just can't allow something like this to happen. I, I wonder, have, have you talked to families specifically at all in, in your research and in your journalism here? Uh, you know, is there anything, is there, are there parents out there saying there's no way my kid's playing college football this year? Have you, have you seen or heard that at all? Because I have not. I think, well, interestingly enough, there have been a couple college football players who have gotten sick um, from COVID. And there was one in particular um, who was a freshman, had some complications from COVID that impacted his heart, which, you know, any type of heart aftermath became a huge conversation when these conferences were making decisions in the last couple weeks in particular, as college football players specifically started seeing these side effects, Um, you know, and there were a couple moms actually who posted different things on Facebook who kind of went viral saying these risks are real. And even for your young, healthy, in shape, um, you know, conscientious 20 year old kid, there can be significant health risks. Um, But on the flip of that, there are a ton of people and student athletes in particular who rely on, these athletic opportunities, um, you know, and their families are kind of banking on these athletic opportunities as either, you know, a means to obtain a degree or get higher education or, you know, potentially pursue a professional career. So for a lot of those families, I'm sure this is a very tough decision for them to make. And it's the same decision that players and, you know, conferences are faced with is, you know, how much does the risk outweigh the reward or vice versa? Right. And you wrote a great piece last week that I want to transition to here because it's, it's interesting and I don't think enough people are thinking about this or might not even understand the process. I've had the luxury of having a few agents on the show here to kind of break down the whole training process um, and, and really who covers those costs and how much work it is and, and, and those sort of things. So your piece basically says we've had players opt out of the college football season already. I mentioned it Tuesday. And there's more coming, I would imagine, especially as these conferences say yes, you're going to have a couple of people, you know, I would imagine a handful of players say thanks, but no thanks. But that puts them in a very interesting situation because they they can then say, well, I'm going to make myself draft eligible, which then puts them in line for an agent, which then puts them in line to train for the upcoming NFL draft next year. And generally speaking, that's like a two month process, Um, you know, six to 12 weeks, which you've noted in your piece. And generally, agents foot that bill. You know, they foot the housing, the food, 
you know, the training itself, it's, it could be, you know, 20 to $30,000 on average for anyone to go and train for pro days and, and, and combines and that kind of thing. It's a process and it's an expensive process. But if that starts in October instead of February or, or January, you're talking about months of training that agents would be asked to foot the bill up because you're right. There's families who are relying on a next step financially speaking, and that usually lands in the lap of the, of the agents. What are you thinking here? Is this going to be a real thing? I know, I know you've mentioned the IMG Academy is going to have a fall session, so certainly they're going to take advantage of these opted-out players that are going to be draft eligible. Uh, this is big-time money being lost by the agents here, correct? Yes, it is. I think you're going to see you know, the bigger agencies really have kind of the pick of the litter, if you will, as you know, when it comes to which prospects they want to sign, I think we've already been seeing that in recent years, given the rising costs of kind of the training process. But I think this year in particular, that gap again will be amplified for sure. It's really interesting. Um, do you foresee there being a larger pile of, of players opting out for this kind of experience? Because look, you don't have to be on, you know, ESPN playing a game to get film over to a scout or into an NFL team's hands right now, you know, you can just use these training facilities, which are highly known. They're, they're, they're well-known across the NFL. All the scouts attend these kind of things. Um, is this going to be the avenue for even maybe some of the more prominent, you know, lottery picks? Look, I think realistically it's hard to imagine some of those more prominent picks, you know, particularly in the conferences that have already canceled, or postponed to spring, so say Big Ten, Pac-12, any of those standout players who are likely going to be, you know, first, second round picks, mm -hmm. hard to imagine them staying and playing a spring season, right? Then, you know, there's no chance with when the combine is supposed to be, you know, even if the draft is pushed back, it's pushed back, which it seems like it may be, there's, you know, a pretty tight window between when your season would end and the draft would start. You're talking about injury risks, a little less training time, the whole thing. So I think it's definitely going to be a conversation. We're definitely going to see more of those players give up kind of their remaining eligibility and declare early. Um, the question then for players and conferences that are still planning to go ahead, you know, is how much of a season do they think they'll actually get through? You know, do they think they'll actually be able to play five or six games and, you know, make a name for themselves? And I think for the players who maybe need that extra visibility boost, that might be the option. And then, say your season's canceled and you end up leaving early, then that might be a situation we see. Um, but I think for those players who are already more well-known, like you said, you know, they don't need that vis visibility. So the, the thought of them leaving early and starting that training, you know, if they can get an agent to back them and to front the money for the whole thing is it's definitely a real, I mean, I think we'll see it. And I think those are the guys too, who agents will front the money for, mm -hmm. because when it, you know, when it comes to getting a return on your investment as an agent or an agency, those are the guys who it's less of a risk. Yeah. Those it, are the guys who know are going to get drafted. They're going to make some money and you'll at least recoup the cost of what it took to train them. Yeah. Because it's all about the signing bonus. I mean, even the rookie yeah. wage, the rookie wage sale is going down next year. It's going to have to, the cap's going down. So there's going to be an adjustment across the board financially, especially for those players coming into the league, even undrafted. The, I mean, that, that undrafted pool is going to be ugly next year and it's going to be tougher and tougher to make that squad. So yeah, I, any advantage they can take now, I think you do it. I mean, as you were speaking, and, and you mentioned the spring season, which I want to touch on a little bit here. I, if, if I'm a sophomore 
right now. And I know my junior year is going to be basically everything for me in college. You know, it's the one year I, I can, I can get myself into a starting role. I can be on prime time. Why would I, why would I risk my sophomore year in the spring when the, when the junior year is going to be sitting there three months, two and a half months later, essentially, there's just, not, it's just too quick of a turnaround for me for some of these major schools where players have been waiting for their turn and it's going to come on a two and a half year, a two and a half month turnaround. I just, I don't understand the likelihood of a spring season at any point in time, honestly. Well, I think you touched on something, you know, pretty key there that a lot of people have been overlooking is this conversation about whether or not players are opting out doesn't only pertain to players who are already draft eligible, right? Because anyone who opts out still has the option to retain that eligibility for an additional year. Schools, conferences, you know, the NCAA, everyone has already agreed on that regardless of sport. So when you look at football in particular, like you said, you can have a sophomore who opts out of the season for COVID concern related reasons and then comes back next year, still has their remaining eligibility to do what they want with. It's super interesting. I mean, it's going to be a crazy 18 months. Obviously, that's an understatement and a half. What else have you have you found in, in your findings here? I know you followed the, the Pac-12 decision a lot. What's happening out west? Because, boy, they're taking a lot of flack as sort of, like, as sort of the soft part of this college football uh, you know, system right now. Um, are they just kind of following suit here? Is it basically the conversation we've had about the Big Ten as well? I think so. Um, you know, any administrators and athletic directors I was talking to out there basically said they felt that they were pretty aligned with the Big Ten in terms of their thinking. Um, you know, and obviously what we've been hearing is that a lot of that thinking is based on the advice of medical, the, their medical personnel and their uh, medical teams that they have assembled to kind of assess the risk and figure out how to move forward. So I think what will be interesting is when we start to see the reports and the findings of some of those groups. Um, I know the PAC 12 released their medical advisory board's recommendations. Um, I think the other thing that you're seeing too, is a lot of these medical boards are not saying don't play football. They're saying, mm -hmm. or don't play fall sports. They're saying, if you're going to play, here are the risks. So you have to assume those, which then you get into liability and insurance issues for these conferences and institutions. But then they're also saying, you're going to need to test daily. You're going to need to quarantine. And all of those things, all of those requirements are costing institutions money in a season where even if they played, they were going to be losing money, right? No ticket sales, no, you know, game revenue on site, any of, you know, no merchant, less merchandise, the whole thing. Um, so I think as much as we're hearing from the Big Ten and the Pac-12 that these decisions were based on the medical advice that they received, that medical advice is all tied to different requirements and protocols and all of that is, has financial implications. <laughs> it's always about the money. You know that, come right. on, you work right. too hard in this, in this industry to understand that, but you're right. The testing is such an important part of this. It's just, I, I mean, uh, you know, I had a, I had a, a gentleman on the show Tuesday and we discussed the back and forth of just how these universities budget, you know, and look at if, if you've got any ties to a high school locally or things like that, it's all the same thing. You, 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 you ask for a certain amount of money. If you get it, you spend it. Because if you don't spend it, you won't get that amount of money next year. They spend every dollar that they're allocated. That's just how it works in these industries. So when you're asking, what, go ahead. I said, and sometimes more. Of course, <laughs> if right, if any, any kind of contributions they get from the outside, right? Exactly. So you, you just can't, you just can't say, you know, we're going to test every day and we're going to foot that bill. That, that you're talking tens of millions. That's just it's ludicrous. These aren't. You know, these aren't basketball teams you can fit into a bubble. These are gigantic 
football squads of a hundred, you know, generally a hundred people when you include all the staff on a, on a weekly basis. So it's, you're right. That's such a big part of it. It's why those smaller conferences, the Ivy league, the Ivy leagues, the Mac, it's why they shut down almost immediately. It wasn't about science. <laughs> you know, of, of course they were recommended not to play to some degree because of the science and the numbers, but it's the, it's about the money and the money they would have had to have involved just to keep this thing level to some degree. And it's even that doesn't seem likely at this point. So I understand it. Um, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people, but the the division of Power Five versus the rest of football right now, to me, has never been stronger than ever, and that sort of mirrors the the country as a whole, I would imagine, right? Yeah, I think you kind of just hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Anything else? Anything else interesting you want to get to before we uh, let you go here? No, you know, I think it'll just it'll be really interesting as conversations start about the viability of spring football. Um, You know, I think the other thing that people have to start considering is if your star players are opting out of spring season, if your spring season is not going to be as competitive, are your broadcast partners still going to front the same kind of money they would have in the fall? So are there still going to be shortfalls, you know, next spring as you're trying to recoup the money you lost this fall? So it's it's going to be a whole trickle down effect and a whole kind of domino of financial implications here. I want to finish on this real quick. One last question, because I, I, I touched on it on my Tuesday show and I, I was pining to get this information to you to see what you have on it. Um, you, you know, we talk about these power five schools, like they're giants and they are the, the college football programs are giants, but the towns they play in are not, these are not gigantic urban cities that make tons of money and may have commercialized settings. These are small, quaint, sometimes historic places that thrive off the college aspect. Um, how much of that matters? I mean, the Big Ten is sort of the opposite. The big, a lot of the schools in the Big Ten are surrounded by big cities. You know, your Chicago's, your, your New York City is, is in proximity, at least. Minneapolis is in, is in proximity. That's not the case for Tuscaloosa and, and the, in New Orleans and, and things like that. These are small towns that would get absolutely destroyed without a college season. And without foot traffic, it's, it's going to be bad enough without fans, but having at least some sort of game to create an atmosphere, right? Whether it's an outdoor bars and restaurants, however they're going to handle it, they, they need it bad, right? I think I saw, I read something the other day that said that there are some college towns that could be facing up to like 50% revenue losses into things like tourism and restaurant industries and all of those things as a result of no football season, um, because like you said, you know, football towns and college towns in particular rely so much on the people coming to games, um, and the business that that spurs up. And I think the other thing that people are forgetting about is, you know, all of those stadiums employ hundreds of people, you know, they employ people working concessions and taking tickets and cleaning the venues and doing field maintenance. And while some of those jobs, you know, you may be needed sporadically or some parts of those may continue. Yeah. I think the people who live in those communities outside of just the team and the school are going to be hit hard too. Right. And putting a football game on TV, isn't going to fix that unfortunately. So (laughs) it's not, those are two separate conversations and I hope they're, they're conversations that are kept alive throughout this entire process because while the Alabama might be on TV playing football, the, the Tuscaloosa is going to be hurting regardless. So uh, it's an interesting time. It's a terrible time, and there's just a lot to unpack. So I appreciate your time on the show. Thanks for doing the great work on Sportico. You can visit her at sportico.com, at Emily Karen on Twitter. I will tweet out a couple of articles that we mentioned here as, as well, so you can reference that as well. Emily, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me.
All right, that'll do it today. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Bottrek for 40% off your first year subscription. My thanks to Dynasty Owner. Get yourself a Dynasty Fantasy Football team. We are getting close, less than a month away from that NFL season. Visit DynastyOwner.com. Grab the app at your app store. Tell them Spotrack sent you. My thanks to Hit Parade. Get yourself a memorabilia box. Try this out. Do it once. If you know somebody who loves memorabilia, maybe it's a birthday, you know, whatever it is, whatever's coming up here, get them this mystery box. It'll, it'll really change them. If they haven't seen this kind of thing happen before where you just basically purchase the chance for an unbelievable autograph, uh, this is a great gift. Check it out. Follow these guys, HB Collect on Instagram, Hit Parade on Twitter, and uh, dacardworld.com. That's where you do all your purchasing. Great website for all sorts of sports, trading cards, uh, all the fantasy work, certainly these Hit Parade mystery boxes as well. dacardworld.com. My thanks to Scott Allen and Emily Karen from Sportico. My name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. Podcast.